If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we're in Mark 14 today. And we are marching towards the culmination of this amazing gospel where Jesus Christ gives his life for us. We have an amazing, amazing, amazing Savior. That kind of needs an amen. Amen? <laughs> we do. I'm a little worried that, that we may not see the depth, especially as we get to these portions and parts of the Bible that we understand really well, or at least we've heard a lot. And we might miss the frame. We might miss the understanding of what's going on. And so let me frame this just for a minute for you. I know if I come up to a, we all live in systems. I know I'm a, I'm a medical guy. I think of medical systems, but the, the things that we live in, if I take a baby and I come up to a baby, I did this today. I walk up and I go, Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm kind. And I smile. The baby smiles back to me usually. And, and over time, when I give the baby a treat, do something good, baby smiles. If instead, every time I came up to that same baby, I gave it a pinch on the toe. Pretty soon, I wouldn't even have to do the pinch, right? I could just come up to the baby, and the baby, she'd start bawling. In fact, I don't even have to use a baby. I can use a dog. That's kind of the normal way, the normal way things go is that we have feedback loops. We have systems of thinking. And as we grow, we just get a little more nuanced in it. We start to understand words like sacrifice and love. And we start, we start doing, we're able now to do, not just to, to kind of passively respond to our environment, but to enter into it and start to do things. But we operate in much the same way. If you boil psychology down, if you boil our systems down, we keep track of how people are towards us and how we are towards them. We have this peace where we kind of know and we keep track and know if you're kind towards me or leaning towards me or if you're away and an enemy. If over time, and, and this plays out in tons and tons of ways. You just look at your relationships a little. You'll find it. You'll find it in your marriage. And we've talked, you know, if you go through this and you say, yeah, boy, I, I, I lay down my life for my spouse and I lay down my life for my spouse. But, but, well, you she just because. <laughs> <laughs> but if she doesn't do stuff back for me over enough time, I start to get a little colder. If if I'm working at a job and I come up early and I work hard and I go and all my other coworkers show up late and do nothing, guess what happens to my effort? I start to get a little bitter about it. If in life goes like this, I, my kids, I love and support them, but if it's an endless, thankless task that isn't appreciated, I start to get sad. Don't they know how good they have it? I, I, I get that way. Life is kind of finding this ebb and flow of people helping you and you helping others, and, and internally we kind of keep score. We kind of keep accounts. We know you might not believe you do, but but if you think it through, we're all evaluators. We're all, in some sense, bookkeepers. Even in the church. I mean, people come and go based on how they feel they're responded to, how, how, how the sort of the account measures up. Well, and what's particularly Christian, or maybe I should just say religious because it's Jewish too, is that we have standards given by God. 
We don't just make up how we're going to measure how we're doing back and forth. We actually have rules given by God. It's this book, right? And, and it has the law in it, and it has rules we can go, and, and I can start to see how you're doing in being good to me, and I can see how I'm doing in being good to you, and I can measure it. It's not relative what I think it is. It's given by God. The things he says are good. And you know what? I have no problem with that. It fits right into my system. It just gives it form. Because now I can evaluate relatively on how they're following a code. And I can, I can see how I'm advancing and how I'm doing. And are people good to me? And am I good to others? And I can, I can figure it out, you know? And I get it, you know, so if, if I do well, then you blessing comes, and if I do poorly, then, then correction comes, and, and, and this whole system. Bookkeeping. Values, ranking, ways of living around the code, and, and, and the book calls us to higher levels of sacrifice, and so we keep books around that sacrificial piece, but it fits into how the entire world has always run, and, and, and if you're there with me and you follow through what I'm trying to do, then now we're ready for the story. This well-known part of a true story today of Jesus being betrayed. We know the story. We know the good guys, Jesus, the disciples for now. We know the bad guys, Judas, the scribes and Pharisees. Why do they hate him so? And then we go, well, it's good, vicious, evil. But but do they think Jesus is good? No, the key to their hatred is they think he's breaking the system. He's breaking it, and, and, and boy, he threatens the system, and it's the same system we use. Okay, so let's take a look. So we know the scribes and Pharisees are against Jesus, and they want to get him, and, and but also Jesus is particularly betrayed. I want you to feel that today, and we're going to start with the accountant's last straw. Okay, so in your Bibles, chapter 14, verse 1, here we go. It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And I don't know how we're going to do it, they're saying, but he's got to die. He needs to die. This is kind of, I mean, I, I don't know about you. It's not surprising because I've read the story a hundred times. But if I if I look at it fresh, it's kind of surprising. They want to kill him? Banish him to, you know, Syria or something, I get. But kill him? I hate him so much. He's got to die. He's so threatening to them, Right? So here's the mindset. It's it's our mindset. God has standards, and he's given them to us, and we're the gatekeepers. They think they're the people in charge, these high priests, these Pharisees. They're the people who have the standards. And and the little bit of thinking, right, is God is far off. He's given us the standards, and we manage them for him. Our role is to keep them and enforce them, to keep God happy and distant. Whatever hierarchy or authority God's given, it's it's to enforce his rules and standards. I don't actually have God close to me. That sounds kind of scary, actually. I don't for a second think God might not think the standards are the key to the life that I live. Think these 
Pharisees. And here comes Jesus, right? I mean, think about what he's done. He's just upended the temple, just cleaned it all out and thrown everybody out. By what authority, they ask? He just gave this parable. We just read it. It was two chapters ago, saying that the gatekeepers, that's them, they hate God. And and besides this, Jesus, he doesn't keep the Sabbath. That's one of the rules of God. He hangs out with losers and sinners. Doesn't he know? Very unhelpful to the standards. It doesn't promote diligent living. It's wrong in their eyes. So because in their eyes and in ours, God rewards the diligent. The hardworking, the giving, the upright, the best of the best. If you want to be blessed, be that. And Jesus, he flat out says, right, he gives teaching like like God gave the same wages to the person who worked for 10 minutes and 10 hours. What? That makes sense. And by the way, this really pushes against how most people see Jesus. Mostly we've dumbed him down. We don't think of Jesus that way, like he's so countercultural, anti-system, breaking things. We think of him as a good teacher and a moral guy and an upstanding and, and because he's perfect. But he was offensive, right? The question is how, and so here's how. Verse 3, and while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Doesn't that sound lovely? Pure nard. (laughs) What? What is pure nard? Spike nard is the stuff. That's, that's what it is. It's also called musk root or valerian root. It's a super perfumey kind of stuff. Smelly. Supposedly was used to, 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 um, on the body of Patroclus by Achilles in the Iliad. This, this whole pound of it is a whole year's worth of, of money. So just think of what you make in a year and you just spend it all on this one thing you throw on the guy's head. Lavish, over the top, super expensive, one fell, fell swoop, and, and honestly, she doesn't know what she's doing. Not in terms of what's coming, right? She's not thinking, oh, Jesus is about to go to the cross and die. She's not thinking that. This, by the way, we know who this is. It's in the other gospels. We won't take time to go there, but let me just tell you, this is, this is, um, Mary, right? Mary, the brother of Lazarus. What did Jesus do? Jesus raised her brother from the dead. She's so stoked. I'm so excited. You raised my brother from the dead. He's alive and he was dead. Oh, Jesus. And she just, she throws this stuff on him, right? In fact, the other gospel account says she's wiping his feet with her hair. Jesus, why are you letting her do that? How wasteful. Because that's what people said, right? There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. There were some, that's shorthand in our Bible, for Judas. Judas. He's the bookkeeper. 
You know, he keeps the money. He's the point of attack. He's the one who's going to give Jesus over. They can't seem to get Jesus until Judas. So so look with me, the accountant. Sorry if you're an accountant in the room. Sorry. Not mean to hit accountants. I love lawyers, too. <laughs> if you're a doctor, there's there's 25 lawyer jokes and one doctor joke. <laughs> But, but, but that's Judas. He's not, not knocking bookkeepers. Look, this is wasteful. You shouldn't have done this. This is wrong. You're not being frugal. Why aren't you wasting this? I'm pouring it on Jesus. We'll come back to that, but look what Jesus says. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. I'm not saying don't help the poor. It's not a statement saying don't help the poor. No, no, no. But the center is me, says Jesus. And and he says she's done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Oh, Two things to notice right away, right? She doesn't think she's anointing him for burial. She she doesn't know. Something far bigger than anything ever created is going on. And that's Jesus Christ, who's God himself, become flesh, going to the cross to die for sins. And she's starting it off by anointing him. And she has no idea. She's just being extravagant towards Jesus. The things we do, we don't even know. And, and, and the second is this. Everyone will know this. It isn't that she sold what she had and gave it to the poor. It isn't that she helped cure homelessness. She didn't serve faithfully for many years. She, she, she was used by God to do something she didn't even really know that came flowing out of her abundant wonder at what's been done for her. And it just splashed out. Who will anoint him? She does. She gets that honor. She is associated with this forever. Jesus smelling of perfume, ready for the sacrifice the world was made for. Here he is, he's ready. And then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard of it, they were glad and they promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And this, this is what the they were, right? It's Judas. This scene is given so you can see the last straw. The money keeper. In this passage, Judas the accountant, because it's, it's fine to say that his heart wasn't pure, that he was kind of saying, why don't you give it to the poor? Because he was sneaking money out of the pot, which, which another gospel account says. But that's not how Mark presents it. Mark presents it as, hey, look, this is the real issue. It wasn't that he was sneaking money. Is that this is the last straw. This Jesus. Like that. (laughs) 
All of our good works are threaded through with ill motive and his were too. But you see, he's judging, he's measuring, he's accounting. He's certain that God will act in a certain way, seriously working towards moral good and affirming good works and values along the way. Here's the rule book. People follow it. If you go against it as, as I see it, then it's not God who's motivating you. And Judas now is pointing at Jesus and saying that. Why? Because he's sitting there in whose house again? Simon the leper. Outcast can't go to temple worship Simon. What is he doing? He's kicking back reclining at table. Who comes and anoints him? Some woman. Like, because that's their thinking, right? Bad thinking, wrong thinking. Like, why would you even... And so wasteful. And not doing it right. I'm done with that. Says, says the morally upright, (laughs) says Judas. Here comes God in Christ. He does none of what you think he would. What's in play here is that Jesus' extravagance is offensive, not just in the wastefulness that's just the last straw, that Jesus overlooks sin, prostitutes, and tax collectors gather to him, that Jesus doesn't have his priorities straight. He should be about serving and working, but here he is kicking back and allowing the perfume. What, what, what is he doing? He's just He's just lying around. It doesn't look like he's doing anything. In fact, these women are loose, licentious. What? We're done. Finally, he breaks, right? This is ridiculous. This is wrong in his heart. Don't dismiss Judas just because he's the true bad guy. He is. He's not unlike you and me. He overlooks his own sin. He's just looking at how Jesus isn't keeping score. His meter's off. You can't ignore this stuff. The wrong people are winning. Bad people are getting ahead. This upside-downness. When we need to measure job performance here. We want people to get what they deserve. We want to improve and then be better. We want to make more and work longer. Don't listen to this Jesus guy. The guy says the person's working 10 minutes gets as much as the person who worked 10 hours. No, I, I want everyone to work 10 hours and then 20 hours. Right? He's looking at people and actions and judging them in relation to his standards. And, and instead, to receive Jesus, get this is to see yourself as out of the game, as deserving of nothing. Where do I want to be in this story? I don't want to be Judas. I want to be Simon the leper. Jesus kicking back in my house. I want to be Mary. Realizing Jesus raised from the dead. Responding my heart. Anything you do is a response to this incredible man, this incredible God who does it all and doesn't keep score and doesn't turn away the sinner and receives lavish gifts from women. And, and all he does is, is, is not what you do, right? What will he do? What will this Jesus do? As, as Judas schemes, as betrayal is happening, as plots thicken, maybe Jesus is unaware. He's just blissfully hanging out. Maybe he's a stu... Look at this. Don't miss it. Because it's stuck right there. 
the Passover's real lamb. That this is, breaks our system. This is what is happening, and it's deep. In verse 12, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? This is pregnant with meaning. The first day of unleavened bread, they're celebrating the Passover when God delivered the Israelites on their journey from the world out into the wilderness. And, 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 and right? He delivered them from the world of Egypt to be his own people. All the miracles, all the signs, all the amazing things that, that Moses did and Aaron did before Pharaoh. And it just made his heart harder and harder and harder. Remember that? Finally, the lamb, when they sacrificed the lamb, the perfect lamb and its blood, and, and they painted it on the doorpost, remember? Because what happened was the angel of death came over and killed the firstborn of every every family, every beast, every calf. Things died except the, where the, 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 the blood covered. They're celebrating this on this day. They would celebrate it in memoriam. They said to remember this amazing act of God to deliver them through, through the blood of the lamb. And, and I wonder if Jesus knows what's going on. So <laughs> look what he does. He sent two of his disciples. He said to them, go into the city. There's a man carrying a jar of water who will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is my guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. Amazing. Don't miss it. She's like, oh yeah, no, this has all been planned out ahead of time. Go find the guy carrying a jug of water. Just follow him. He'll have the place all set up for us. This is important things happening that are planned out things that we know that exactly what's going to happen is going to happen because all the world needs to know and see by what's going to be recorded in this book that Jesus has done it and this is important, deep things happening. The preparations are set. The eve of his death with his disciples in the face of betrayal and rejection by the bookkeeper. And they went out, the disciples did, to the city. They found it just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. Think about it. What are they preparing exactly? Lamb. Right? They cook it. They're celebrating the cedar. They're thinking about Egypt. They're thinking about the angel of death passing over. And think about Jesus. What is Jesus doing? He's eating a meal with those he cares for. For what? For the last time. It isn't the last, we call it the last supper. It's not the last supper for the disciples. They're going to have lots more suppers. It's the last supper for Jesus. Enjoying fellowship and laughing about the guy with the jar of water, the surprise of a room to meet in, washing off dirt, hanging out. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve and, and they were reclining at table and eating. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Oh, he does know. Jesus knows he's going to be betrayed. Jesus knows the heart of the bookkeeper. 
They're all going to abandon him. The shepherd struck and the sheep scatter. But one particularly betrayed. Which one? The, 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 the accountant, the one who doesn't think Jesus is doing and following the system that he's supposed to be following. The one who judges, it's the irony, it's, he acts despicably, and Jesus knows it, he accepts it, he doesn't stop it, he accepts it, this is love, the incredible love of God, for the sinner. Of course, they're dumbfounded, because Judas doesn't seem like a betrayer, they're sitting there, right in verse 19, they, they begin to be sorrowful with one another, and say to him, one after another, is it I? And, and he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who's dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. All the world for all time knows that Judas acted all okay but inside was was dead. He was a dead man walking. Rejecter of Jesus, associated with Satan, right? That's another account. Satan enters him. Better for him not to be born, but he was born, and even he used by God. So, so focus on this. Judas betrayed Jesus because Jesus wouldn't follow his model of accounting. He turned in his heart over how Jesus was acting how God was acting. Because Jesus seems to be cavorting and splurging and wrong. And, and Jesus knows this is Judas's problem, and he doesn't apologize. He tells Judas he's off and wrong and will betray him. Jesus is focused on his guys because that's what he does. He, he, he sees what he is to do, and he's going to do it. He's the answer. He's the hope. Not better behavior. As they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he and he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Oh, these are words we speak over and over, right? We're going to take communion in a little bit. But offered to them all to receive the Lord's Supper, Jesus, for them in the face of betrayal as a special event before he dies for all of us, those who are his, to the whole world he dies. And he gives them this, receive me. Remarkable. It is worth saying again, he takes the bread. Take and eat, this is my body. And not that it somehow becomes his body, but the receiving is the receiving of Jesus himself and none other. He takes the cup and gives thanks and gives it to them, and they all drink. What did they take in? The blood of the covenant. Jesus' blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Not the removal of future sinfulness, like, like, okay, now get to work. And and the other thing, this is the final act before dying that he does with his guys, his disciples. I'm not going to eat again till we eat together in the kingdom. This newness is coming, but it's not not coming fully until I'm with you again. And and I like this. I like this. I like hanging out with you. I like sharing 
fellowship with you. I like the Lord's Supper with you, but, but I don't get to do this again until it's in the kingdom with you. Okay, it's really important to take this apart a little bit. For your faith, for your trust, and then consider the context as we close. So communion, right? Not a pledge of obedience. Not a pledge of faithfulness. Not a pledge at all. It's a receiving. Man, I got nothing. Jesus, I receive. That, that's what they do. It's a statement by Jesus about an act of Jesus that is for them. And what do they do? They receive it. That's all they do. They receive Jesus. It's not magic. It's just that this is their only hope is what Jesus is going to do. Their only hope is to receive this. By the way, even Judas, his only hope is what? In what Jesus is going to do. Partaking of Christ, even in his sin, Christ is for him. Jesus dies for him. Judas has to take this gift of Christ for him, and he actively push it away. If he's going to reject Jesus, this incredible statement of the wonder of Jesus for us, in spite of our sin, I'll tell you what's happened. God has come near, and he's near to you in this. Will you trust it, right? Because that has been Jesus all along. The prostitute or the tax collector, the sinner, are welcomed. None of their sin counting against them. Not welcomed as they clean themselves up and take a shower. Welcome to receive Christ. He's doing all the lifting. He's doing all the work. He's done everything. Everything they do is a response to what he's already done. They might even never realize it. If they see a little bit and respond with amazing gladness, that's so cool. God uses it. You might never actually understand. So today, I proclaim to you, Jesus Christ takes away the sin of the world. That's the statement, right? Don't get offended. That's what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Are you the prostitute or the tax collector or the sinner? Rejoice. Receive this amazing Jesus. See the wonder of what he's done. Life from the dead. This is his promise. The moment, the moment we see today is the moment of wonder. Rejoice. Or Are you the counter? Are you the accountant, the measurer, the one who must maximize and consider? Because it's so much about how you do. I'll tell you, I fit here a lot. I'm a natural counter. You know what? You are too. See how Jesus breaks it. See, go ahead, count. See how good you must be. And then realize, actually, you fit with Judas. You're the worst of sinners. How disappointing to find that Jesus has tossed the books. There's no more accounting. Just receiving is abundant, enough for all gift. And to see him at the center, not 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 giving out rewards for your great behavior, but welcoming the undeserving. And the undeserving is you, is me. 
You either see yourself as undeserving or you think you deserve. You either see yourself as having a little life, a little flame, and you stoke it, right? Trying to, 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 to flame it more to life by the good instruction of the law. <sighs> trying, 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 and you look to see who else has big flames. Or else you realize you've got no flame. It's out. You're dead. The law doesn't affirm it condemns you. Along with the prostitute. Along with, let me get more specific. Along with the white supremacist. Along with the serial adulterer. Along with the really bad people. And the ray of light that comes in is that in spite of those really terrible things, there's a Jesus and he's real. And he doesn't affirm their sin. He says, you're all sinners. But if you receive my gift, this is the receiving. You are forgiven. My blood is enough. You have life. Trust me. Thus, you either really take communion or you fake it. So I I, I call you today, don't fake it. Receive with us the gift of Jesus. Lay down the burden. Put down the pen. Tear up the book. Receive this Jesus and live. Take it like a dying man. Take it like a dying woman who sees hope, not as a vitamin to make you stronger, but as life to the dead and the promise of the Passover lamb. This is Jesus. Would you pray with me?